chaos, unpleasant surprises, plus a sound editor is apparently our recipe for success. <laughs> well, it's a little early to call it success. This is the Stack Overflow Podcast, episode 92, recorded Monday, October 17th, 2016, at Stack Overflow headquarters in New York, New York, home of Gray's Papaya, where more than 8 million people <laughs> live in peace and enjoy the benefits of democracy and papaya juice. Today's <laughs> podcast is brought to you by the Facsimile Association of America. When it comes to your business documents, you need a transmission service you can trust. <laughs> On today's podcast, the usual crew, Vice President of Community Product, Jay Hanlon. Good afternoon. VP of Engineering, David Fullerton. Morning. And our news editor is Ilana Yitzhaki. Hello, everyone. And today we have a special episode of Startup or Shut Up. I'm your host, Joel Spolsky. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to be back, Joel. As a native New Yorker, I loved your Grace Papaya reference. I feel like <laughs> that would be a great, like, is it, I'm going to say it wrong, shibboleth, shibboleth thing for like, shibboleth. are you, are you yeah, a real you New know. Yorker? Like you just grab someone and be like, what is Grace Papaya best yeah. known for? And if they say papaya, you can execute them as a non-New Yorker because <laughs> <laughs> it's wrong. And every right. New Yorker knows it's wrong. Stand. It's yes. hot dogs. And they do sell papaya juice because they were created in the 70s at a time when people thought that papaya juice made you healthy. They now know better, and papaya juice doesn't taste very good, but you can still get it at Grace Papaya. It also is featured in dozens of movies. Like literally every you movie name them all? New York. Yeah, any, <laughs> any New York anything, movie. Anything. It's in, it's... Yeah. So I have an important follow-up question. There's a date you've got mail at Grace Papaya. I'm not, <laughs> can't even say it. Is not the one instance where they fall yeah. in love in Seattle? Do do do. You got mail? That's is, uh, no, it's at Grace Papaya. Oh, it's also at Grace Papaya. Uh, the part that's not at Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Just, just, oh, someone owns a tiny bookstore. Yeah, a tiny bookstore that right. is that right. is that's inefficiently selling books at high prices in brick and mortar stores. Yeah, is the papaya the one that looks like it's sort of that like that's what you remember about, about a romantic were, comedy? If you were watching a scary <laughs> movie about aliens and the aliens had babies, and you yeah. could like you'd find this nest Meg of Ryan. like the babies before the eggs hatched. Yeah, would that look like a papaya? That do I have the right fruit? Uh... <laughs> Anybody know what a papaya really is? One of them Does has like one of those tropical really fruits has like this horrible like you're sure they're going to burst out and if they get up your nose they'll then burst out of your chest a while later. It's like a cluster of little the little black seed. The, yeah, like, yeah, the black that's a papaya. Yeah, it's yeah, green yeah, on the outside, papaya. orange in the middle yeah. with the little black seeds. Just yeah. Google like halved papaya and you'll understand exactly what I mean. It looks it's terrifying. Not that terrifying. It's an incubation it's chamber. It's really not. And it tastes just like it sounds or looks. But now I know what to dress up for on Halloween to scare Jay. <laughs> and I will know you are not a New Yorker because you would have been a crispy hot dog if you were a real New Yorker, David. Every Connecticut resident dreams of being a New Yorker someday. Okay. Okay, so I've got a rant. Oh, good. <laughs> Is it that time again? <laughs> tell us, Joel, tell us. I was reading. This apparently was published quite a while ago, like seven months ago, but it just came to everybody's attention again yesterday for reasons that I will not go into in too much detail. But this fellow, Pierre Gauthier, this is a very senior computer engineer, started his own company about 18 years ago. He's kind of a director of engineering. He was applying for a director of engineering role at Google, and he made a little blog saying, here's what they asked me on my first interview with Google, and I failed. So the blog post, we'll go ahead and link to it in the show notes if everybody in the world didn't see this. But it's just a bunch of trivia questions. So question number one, what is the opposite of malloc? Free. Correct. What Unix function lets a socket receive connections? Listen. Correct. Which is weird, isn't it? Select and never mind. Okay. Listen is fine. Anyway, at some point, he starts answering the questions in a slightly more sophisticated way than the recruiter understands. And sometimes the recruiter just has the wrong information, I guess. And certainly the recruiter has zero knowledge as to what these things actually mean. Sometimes the answers that the recruiter is looking for are ridiculously out of date. And Gautier, who's doing the interview, has actually got the more up-to-date answers. In any case, he fails and Google fails to hire him as a director of engineering. Can we have an example of like where he's got a more nuanced answer that is then deemed incorrect by the, sounds like an ill-informed Yeah. Worker. Okay. So the question was, for example, here's a question. Let's take an easy one. Why is quicksort the best sorting method? <laughs> and so his answer is, it isn't. In fact, it's not even often a suitable sorting See, method. See, he thought it was a trick question. They're asking him, Just why, why is it, it the best? Like, and he's like, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Trick question. And then the recruiter says, incorrect. Quicksort has the best big O, which again is... Not even worded the way a real computer For people who didn't get a CS degree, this is like your first CS class, I think. Yeah. Where they teach you 
algorithms and they teach you that there's different sorting methods and they do this really naive, you know, okay, here's a really dumb way to do sort, you know, insertion sort. And then here's right. the best way to do sort, quick it's sort. It's quick sort. Amazing. It's like, so you learn this in CS101 and then, you know, you learn that that's not actually always the right answer and there's all sorts of complexities. Yeah. So his answer was... Big O ignores data storage latency, topology, volume, available memory, the computational cost of CPU instructions. Instead, it merely counts the number of algorithmic operations. You know, anyway, he had a great answer. He said, Big O can be a valuable indication when designing algorithms, but the best performing and scaling solution depends on the particular constraints of any specific problem in an environment. And Recruiter said, wrong. Correct answer is QuickSort has the biggest Big O score, and therefore it's the best sorting method. And that's, of course, absurd. I think what bothers me most is that Big O sounds like something Obama would insist everyone else calls yeah. him at his pickup basketball. Yeah, everyone call me Big O. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. We did not cue that up. Jay just came up with that on the fly. Uh, not the injustice in the hiring world. That bothers me too. <laughs> the other thing which is absurd is even if you were talking about that, QuickSort is N log N, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's N log N. But that's average case, and it's like worst case, it's N squared. So you don't. But really. this is like, I mean, obviously there's a real consequence here, but there's sort of nothing more irritating than kind of a condescending lecturer know-it-all who knows less than you. Yeah. Right? Like, this is what you hear about sort of like too many women encounter at work every day or like, I mean, you may yeah. have a relative. I have a relative. He'll read like- This is called recruiter-splaining. Like a six-line thing on the internet, and he's now an expert in this topic, and he will yeah. relay it. And occasionally he'll oh. like wander into medicine, right. and he'll be like explaining something to my wife, and she will just like, she's a doctor, will just roll her eyes and be like, that is made up nonsense, my friend. <laughs> Well, you know, this is like a classic, you know, this is not how you want to do interviews. Trivia questions. These are things you can easily Google. The surprising thing here, yeah. ironically, is that it's ironically. Google asking these questions. Being there, and they're supposed to be smarter than this. This is somewhat, yeah. And this is actually kind of hard to believe. A lot of the responses that he got is, that could never happen at Google. And that makes me suspicious as to what's actually going on here. I was told literally 15 years ago that Google was handing out stacks of my own guerrilla guide to interviewing to use as sort of an interviewing technique early on when Google was small, but it's easy to see how the company yeah. grew so fast that it might well have forgotten some of that stuff. Well, that's the thing. Google's a huge company. I could easily imagine this happening yeah. somewhere in Google. Like, well, I think just they kinda... have 3,000 recruiters that work for the company. 3,000 recruiters. That's what I heard. Yeah. Where did I hear that? I'm sorry. Don't use that as a footnote, people. It's just, at this point, rumor and innuendo. <laughs> but it makes sense based on the number of people that they have. I mean, how many? We have five recruiters <laughs> and 300 employees, and they have 3,000 recruiters. See, for... it's, this is this is weird. If you Google how many recruiters does Google have, yeah. what it returns is Big O is a totally legitimate sorting methodology. <laughs> it's almost like they controlled the search engine. Yeah. It's really weird. Yeah, Very sneaky. Yeah. They're working on that. So, you know, there could be a bad Apple that's doing this, but this really sounds like somebody said... The recruiters are spending too much time on unqualified candidates. Let's come yep. up with something that's kind of a low-pass filter to get rid of the real garbage early on. And the filter that they came up with seemed to make sense to somebody, and it's actually terrible. It's obviously not working. It almost feels like the breakdown here, this is like a typical large company bureaucracy problem. It's not that there's a non-technical person doing screening, right? That's okay. We do that. Do right? we? Yeah, sure. I mean, but not, they're not doing technical not screening. primary screening. Well, no, not right, technical. Not technical screening generally, but I think that's a subset of like, there's not the right partnership here between recruiting and the people who actually know this topic. Right. And so at some point, they wanted the screen, they wanted it up front, they wanted it to be like lower cost, right? So they could do it very efficiently in the recruiting system. And it sounds like someone went to engineering and said, can you give us this like outline of a simple test? Someone put it together. What's breaking down here is the people who are using it are simply relaying something without any real feedback loop, it feels like. The other thing that was surprising to me here is that this is like director of something, Right. What was the actual position? Director of engineering or something? Yeah, yeah, director of engineering. You know, it's like a management role. And yeah, I would not have gotten these questions. They're asking what to me are really, really irrelevant questions to a manager. In fact, right. I, I feel like at that level, this is the kind of, if you hire this person who can answer all of those questions and say, great, you're qualified to be director of something. And now they're, you know, they're going in and <laughs> they're telling their developers, no, you're wrong. Use QuickSort. That's the correct answer. Yeah, they asked them what type of packets are exchanged to establish a TCP connection, and they were looking for a SIN, SINAC, and ACK, which he like literally gave in hexadecimal, and the recruiter said wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's just something that's gone wrong. They're just setting up such a bizarre way of interviewing at, even at this level. The recruiter says to him, "If Google is down, you're going to need to know how to diagnose what the problem is." <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, we could do that in Stack Overflow. You know, if Stack Overflow is down, yeah, yeah. you're going to be the one who tries to keep the Stack Overflow service. So you better memorize the heck Jokes on you. We have offline I would not have known these answers. I guess I wouldn't be a good director of engineering. So what's the right way to solve this problem? So it feels like the problem they're probably trying to solve is uh, we're getting too many just unqualified people through to the, you know, the actual technical screens. So let's try to weed them out earlier on. This is the wrong way to solve that problem. How do you actually solve that problem? Or is it a problem? Yeah. No, I'm asking you. <laughs> oh, you know, actually, I would unask this whole question. I would look at why Google has so many recruiters and see if it has to do possibly with having a high rate of churn and focus on keeping the people they have and keeping them happy and keeping them working on interesting stuff. And then they need fewer recruiters and the recruiters they do have can be better. But also even just starting with the idea that somebody who's not like a real technical or a real engineer as their job can be evaluating the engineering qualifications of somebody is probably a really right. bad idea. It's the parroting. Like when he's yeah. trying to explain like SIG term 15 is different from the kill signal nine and the recruiter yeah. says, that's not the answer I have on my sheet of paper. Yeah. Like if you're in any environment where you're like, I'm sorry, but the words in front of me say different it's things. Basically, and the computer says no. It's just, right. It's like a very, that recruiter's not put in a fair position, essentially. They cannot succeed. Right. They shouldn't be evaluating the answers on this kind of test. Right. It no. should be the person asking the questions. Right. Like, they've picked that uncanny valley between, like, can it be done multiple choice on a form? Yeah. No, it can't. Do I need someone who actually knows what these words mean? Yes, I do. Like, there is nothing in between. Like, they've asked this person even to gave, There must have been an actual engineer that was told, go make a list of easy, low-level questions to give to a right. recruiter. Right. That's crazy. And who is no longer connected anyway to this exercise. Yeah. And does not know that it's not working. Well, no. Or just knows that it has been enormously successful at reducing the number of applicants for jobs <laughs> at Google that reach a developer that, by 90%. <laughs> at one point, he gets grumpy and says, which kind of CPU? Why not let me compare my code to yours in a benchmark? And the recruiter says, that's not the point of this test. And he says, what is the point of this test? And the recruiter says, to check that you know the right answers. It's like, it's like you're talking to Siri, and it's like, please, yeah. Siri. I mean, to be clear, this is, you know, this is written from the perspective of somebody who didn't get the job. So I can't imagine that these things from the recruiter are, you know, he was actually recording the interview, and these are exact quotes. But the whole idea is just what's broken here. Yeah. I have read 3,000 things by now of, well, this company is stupid because they interviewed me and I did not get the job. And when you read them, the personality of the person <laughs> shines through. Not this one. And, and this is not one of those things. I mean, often when you see somebody whining about not getting a job and thinking that they're revealing something horrific about the company that did not hire them, a lot of times sort of the first comments you see on Hacker News are, well, based on the prickliness with which he wrote this blog post. I suspect there may have been personal reasons why they just did not want to work with you. But this was not that. This looked like a perfectly normal and reasonable person who very specifically, actually, ironically, I thought where it was going to go is like, who the heck needs to know, you know, the type of packets used to establish a TCP connection? That's not the kind of thing you would ever use in a director of engineering job. That's a thing you should have learned if you just took a networking class in college. The specific questions seem weird for a management role. So let's talk about good interviews, by the way, which is that we do have a good interview process. It's amazing. So when we ask a candidate, like a yeah. technical candidate, how many licks it takes to get the center of a Tootsie Roll <laughs> right, lollipop, right, right. Yeah. the person asking knows the answer. There's a reason. There's a reason. They've talked to the owl who yes. has actually <laughs> tested this, and there's no risk it's that they owl? will simply... It was in the commercial. It's one, two, three. <laughs> okay, jump. It goes three, three okay. licks to the center of... Okay, we're dating ourselves again. But let's talk about how we do the sort of technical screening portions a little bit or what we're looking for. Okay. So here's what we do. So we do have a recruiter filter, right? And their job is to filter out the uh, the junk. When you publish a public listing, you get a certain amount of just people who, you know, just have no business applying. So they're not actually developers or they've never worked a development job before or they don't have... Uh, this sounds terrible. They're like people who don't even write full sentences in their cover letter or they're clearly just applying to a hundred different jobs. So that's what the recruiter is trying right. to screen out. And so they do two passes. So they do a quick pass on the resumes and then they send the ones that look like this is actually a technical person to an actual developer who reviews the resume for, yeah. we have five criteria and we've blogged about this. We call it Ted Pig, targeted experience, depth, passion, and gets things done. Right. Targeted means that they're trying to apply for this job. They're not just mass spamming yes. their resume. Experience means they yes, have good experience. Because we're usually hiring people with Except for when I've occasionally hired junior devs, we're usually hiring people with two to two plus years of experience. So that's pretty easy to just tell from the resume. Depth is that they have gone deep on some technology, maybe. They... Yeah, te technical depth. We're looking for something in their resume or something in their projects that looks like, you know, they didn't just do kind of the, the bare minimum, but they actually sort right. of went under the surface. Yeah. Sorry, front-end JavaScript developers. 
No, you can go deep in JavaScript. It's just, yeah. you know, it's somebody who actually gets into the frameworks or writes their own framework, which is why there's a million frameworks. But right. the, the way you show you're, you're really serious about JavaScript is you write your own framework. Yeah. Or I got my own operating system. Written in JavaScript. <laughs> well, no, right. I mean, it's, it's written in my own machine language that I invented. There is a JavaScript interpreter for that machine language. Yeah. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. Passion is any sign that this is not just your day job. So, right. you know. This is any sort of open source or blog posts, or if you don't, you know, blog or have open source projects or participate on Stack Overflow, it could just be you wrote a really nice cover letter where you talked about, you know, how much you love programming. Right. You did it as a kid, as your hobby, just into it. Anything like that. Yeah. And then gets things done is you actually talk about projects you've shipped in your resume. So you don't just talk about how you utilized the latest technologies, you know, to right. increase total shareholder value. You actually talk about some projects that you worked on that you finished. Yeah. So those are our five criteria. So a recruiter could evaluate this, you're saying? So no, sorry. The recruiter does their sort of low-pass filter where they can say, you know, they don't even mention Stack Overflow anywhere in their cover letter. This is clearly a kind of form letter. Yeah. They can reject on some of those signals, but they don't really look for technical depth or gets things done kind of stuff. That goes to a developer to review the resume. Okay. So the developer reviews. Then it goes back to the recruiter, and they have sort of a 30-minute intro call with the candidate, and that is... They very rarely reject anybody from that. That's mostly just gathering some information that you didn't happen to put in your resume that we're going to want to know and write it down and meet the recruiter and introduce them and so on. And then it goes to a developer for the actual technical screens. And we've got three of those and then the final interview and yeah. then you're done. And when we say developer, this is not like a developer that does this full time. This is an actual working developer that has taken some time out of their valuable day, their valuable time out of their not valuable day, to <laughs> recruit somebody or interview somebody that they will likely be working with if they hire them and have to deal with their code down the line in the future. Yes. And you've written a lot about this. We've written some stuff about how we do interviews and what we look for, but we've moved increasingly away from sort of typical whiteboard coding problems. We do a little bit of that, but we have sort of what we call the can they code interview, mm -hmm. which is really like, let's just pose you a problem that means you've got to write some for loops and if statements and do some stuff with that just to like, because you can tell like, is this the kind of person who just writes code all day long? Or is this the kind of person who this is kind of the first time they've tried to write a for loop? Those are sort of early screener yeah. questions. And then our big one is sort of, we want to get into, and I don't want to talk about exactly what, you know, the problems we ask are, but we want to get into sort of how would you build this system? Because that's sort of more of a real life example of like, okay, say we came to you and we said, we need this feature. How would you build it? You know, how would you architect it? Right. What different systems do you need? How would you solve this problem? You know, and so on. By the way, I should mention, I would recommend not giving people a problem that you yourself have solved to solve in an interview. If you yep. give them a problem you yourself have solved, you'll be tempted to think that their idea is good because it's the same as yours or not good because it's different than yours. Pick a problem that you've never really yeah. worked on. That's why Joel asks all developers to solve Fermat's theorem. With Fermat, the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things we've moved away from is having every developer come up with their own interview question because there's too many ways to get it wrong. <laughs> Not enough ways to get it right. And it's really hard basically to screen the screeners. So we just have a set list of questions that we ask and everyone is kind of trained on how to ask those questions. Before that, there was too much randomness in the interview process. Like mm -hmm. you get assigned a dev interviewer and they ask you one particular question. And then if you'd gotten somebody else, you would have gotten a completely different question. And how do we know that it would have been the same result? Because we're asking 18 different questions of every single interviewer. And you can kind of squint at them and say, you know, some of these seem easier than others. This doesn't really seem like a fair standard interview process. Yeah. So that's definitely something we've looked at. And then the risk of the standardization is eventually those questions end up on Glassdoor and everybody comes in super prepared and already having memorized an exact answer to that question. Yes, that is the risk. So don't go post them on Glassdoor, Joel. They just walk right in. The first thing they say to you is, I'll tell you why manhole covers are round. Stack Overflow programmer Adam reminds me that we're only counting four out of five things in oh, that's Ted right. Pig, as he says, somebody who is experienced with some depth and GTD. So basically, you don't have to get 100% of them. You can just be kind of deep on four, but weak on one. I think the idea there, though, is it's not that we only need four out of five per se as much as we're looking for all five, but if you felt the evidence one, because that's, that's a resume screen, basically. Yeah. That's the whole thing where resumes are a really, really imperfect filter. Right. Yeah. And you're just kind of trying to like squint through the, the murky glass to see the person behind this weird format that doesn't tell you what you actually want to know. So four out of five is good enough. And we also let people, if they get three, they can put up, but they think this candidate's really good for some other reason, they can put a plus and then kind of make a note and say, you know, three plus because... I think you'll see some of this in, you know, every product is a little bit biased by the people that work on it. So in the developer story, obviously, we believe this works well for everybody. But part of the kinds of things it's trying to do is let you better evidence like passion is a great example, like that gets lost down in nonsense normally. 
Yeah. While the stuff that developers are passionate about, we really wanted them to highlight as a main That's thing. That's the best stuff. Even gets things done, right? I shipped this feature as opposed to like the team you worked on and how I've long you were been there. reviewing a resume for a candidate and somewhere buried in there is my side project is, and you go click on it and they have a big, beautiful website right. and they built an app right. and it has a server and it's an Android version, an iPhone version, and it's got 30,000 enthusiastic users that are doing some cool thing with music and it has nothing to do with anything else on their resume. It's not their job. It's not their whatever. And that's a candidate that not only can they obviously get things done, but they have learned so many different things right. in order to pull together the marketing and the website and the copy for the website and the art for the website and the app and the that they're just bound to be uh, good. Although sometimes they've done all that in addition to the iOS app and the Android app. Yeah. There's a Windows phone app and that's an instant no hire, yeah. obviously. Uh, <laughs> Windows what? That's just a particular Send kind of Send your letters to passion. Microsoft and Carta at 6693 Avenue of the Americas. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we flogged that piece enough. I think even, uh, you know, the reaction is I think even Google would look at this and be kind of embarrassed. They would be a little bit embarrassed if they'd done this. Like this is not how they intend to interview. So something is Obviously not. through here. There's another thing which this sort of reminds me of is that if you had asked me 15 years ago, I'd say, you know, oh, well, an accidental false negative, you'll hire somebody else. Today, the way the supply and demand curves work, that's no longer possible. <laughs> In other words, the attitude a long time ago used to be, listen, the interview process is all about making sure that nobody gets in that's bad because it's going to take you a year to get rid of them. They're going to break a lot of code. You're going to have a year where you're paying somebody and figuring out that they're just never going to work out, that you can never teach them, that it's never going to... And during that time, if you had just spent a little more time in the interview process, interviewed a few more people, found somebody better, you wouldn't have had that year of misery. and that's not false. However, today I think we're facing a problem where you're really trying to make sure in this, at least in the resume screening process, that nobody that might be good is sort of slipping through your fingers because we really are kind of panning for gold here and, and trying to be a little bit more careful as to what we throw away. The diversity aspect, I think, is also really important there because it's really easy when you're just justifying this as well. You know, we're not trying to make sure we catch every good candidate. We're just trying to catch, you know, only the ones that are good. When you're selecting that way, you just always end up selecting for the people that look and sound and think exactly like you. And so that's where I think you just got to be really, really careful and really intentional with how you interview so that you're not just, you know, actually, I think that's like the biggest problem with this recruiter screen is that what they're looking for is the person who gives exactly the right answer, which is exactly the answer that we would give here. Yeah. And that's dangerous because then you're going to yeah. hire the exact kind of person that you already have. For product management interviews that I did at Microsoft where I gave, I must have interviewed like 100 people for this. I would be constantly blown away because I would use the same question for, you know, decades, well, months at least, I mean, for <laughs> dozens of candidates. And candidates would be coming in and the good ones would still be giving me creative and thoughtful things that nobody else had ever come up with. So there's some pretty standard answers, but every once in a while, somebody would just kind of blow you away with some new observation or some new thought that you'd never really heard. And I still see that sometimes where somebody comes in and really just surprises you with how amazing their answer is. Okay. If somebody wants to learn more about how to do interview questions the right way and not the wrong way, go to our website or actually you could go to John Software and look for Gorilla Guide to Interviews. You could go to Amazon and buy Smart and Gets Things Done. We should link to some of those old John Software pieces on the Code for Living blog, actually. It'd be great. Okay. Perfect topics. What is the Code for Living blog, Jay? The Code for a Living blog is actually our developer-facing blog for basically developer careers. So both how developers find careers, sort of what they're looking for. Yeah. We help employers and we write for employers on like how to hire developers and not annoy the crap out of them and so on. But this blog is really entirely targeting helping developers find jobs better. And it's not just saying use our jobs product. It's more broad topics on, you know, how to prepare for interviews, how to think about identifying places you'll be a good fit, et cetera. Okay, so we can just recycle some old yeah. 2001 John Still jams, pieces. man. We'll also link, <laughs> we've written some posts on the Ted Pig process, how we do resume screens and some things like that, that we can, we'll dig those up and put those in the show notes as well. Ted Pig. Every time I yes, read this article, I always think of that Seinfeld episode with the boy in the bubble, who's like, the moops, it was the moops who invaded. <laughs> and George Costanza's trying to explain it, or maybe it's Costanza, anyway, it's the, it was the no Moors. talking about uh, right now. <laughs> uh, first to get the crickets it's so cruel so cruel <laughs> okay damn you crickets okay we have a one minute tech review oh what do you got joel one minute tech review let's say that you're using some software application on your macintosh something interesting happens and you want to share it with your friends or maybe you see a bug and you want to share it with the developer so you wish to take a screen recording of something that just happened on your macintosh how do you do that snag it no. What? <laughs> Incorrect. Sorry. 
It's not what written on Joel's piece of paper in front of him. I don't know. Joel, I don't, David how know. would I solve such David a problem? Know. Sorry, what's the question again? Uh, you take a screen capture. You want to actually record a movie of something that's happening on the screen of your Macintosh. Oh, I don't know how to take a recording. Camtasia ah. would be... To take a okay. screenshot, it's like eight keys that you have to press simultaneously. Yeah, yeah it's like that shift eight, shift, shift four. control four. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you're going to like today's one-minute tech review because the QuickTime player, which is built into every Macintosh, just run the QuickTime player, and when you run it, I'm going to do it right now, QuickTime player, there is a menu item that says File New Screen Recording. It's just right there. It's on the menu. You don't have to memorize anything. You just have to know that QuickTime oh, has screen recording. Yep. Which menu again? File. File. Yeah, okay. QuickTime player, file, new screen recording. And then you just you can point to a window, you can point to a rectangle on the screen, you can do the whole screen, whatever you want, and you can just record it, and you're oh, recording your screen. Wow. See, all I knew about QuickTime player was it was that thing in the old days, and occasionally you'd be trying to watch a video on the web, and it would be like, requires QuickTime player, yeah, and you'd yeah. be like, oh, I don't now have if it. I install that, I'm no, going to get you updates from Apple. I'm going to get updates from Apple yep. for the next 19 years <laughs> yep. where they yep. want to install upgrades to the QuickTime player. Which you still get. <laughs> this is crazy. Yes. Right in the QuickTime player. Like How do you world? stop recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. The stop recording <laughs> is sort of hidden. It is in your taskbar. Command, bar. shift, There's a, there's a square. It's like a dystopian sci-fi movie. I'm like, How do I make oh, the camera stop? Oh, you can click on QuickTime at the bottom. There's a little square right up here. It's a, a stop square. screen recording. Oh, stop you right-click. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is riveting. That okay, crazy. Now that you know that, computer. you don't have to buy any kind of expensive software. You don't have to hook up your old home VHS recording camcorder to your screen. You can just run the screen. Okay, that's our one-minute tech review. That's a lot better than when I just hold my phone up and take a movie. <laughs> I really like this. <laughs> okay, we got a new segment for you guys. Last week, oh. we had Stumpnik Craver. Today's new segment is called Startup or Shut Up. How does this work? Sounds like a setup question, but I actually don't know. Ilana, do you want to explain it? <laughs> All right. So I have three startups, three names and their explanations. Two are real. One is fake. Okay. I'm going to give you the description of each one, and you are going to tell me which one of the three is the fake one. Okay. okay so we get the name and the like description of the startup's core or whatever, yeah. and then we guess which one Ilana has made up or somebody has made up. Yes. Now, Correct. here's the interesting point is that we're playing against each other, me and Jay and David does are Joel all playing. Does Joel know the answers? I do no, not know Joel the answers. None the of us answers. know the answers. Okay, excellent. Excellent. For each round, all three of us have to give our explanation as to why we believe what we believe, a little bit of thinking out loud. <laughs> Got it. And if you get it right, you get one point. If you get it wrong, you get zero points. Whoever gets the most points wins the entire the toilet brush game. Yeah. <laughs> We're still trying to give away the toilet brushes? Yes, we still have. <laughs> I'd like one of your discarded items. Week. That was my favorite prize. I'd like oh, something you could choose something a discarded item from my trash yeah. game. Okay, Go ahead. Perfect. That's fine. Perfect. All right, you ready? <laughs> yeah. Take key. We give marketers the real-time tools to automatically target advertising and gather insights based on what's trending for their audience. Take key. Okay, I know that one's real. I'm going to know that guy. That's real. Who knows? He could be doing the double reversal, trying to psych us out. This could be sound of psyops. It's true. It's true. Okay, yeah. go on. Go okay. Reaper.io, a new analytics platform for the funeral industry, which allows death care <laughs> companies an easier way to determine where to open new locations. That's really specific. <laughs> that is really specific. I was with you with Reaper being an analytics, but analytics for... All right, we got to hear the third one. This is just... Right. That is, that's like too specific to be made up. I, I could think. believe Reaper as a... The as next one's going to be platform. Uber, but for tying Jay Hanlon's shoelaces. <laughs> Health Gorilla, a clinical network that is disrupting the clinical information exchange by providing a simple and secure mechanism to empower caregivers to view and exchange clinical data. That sounds real, too. <laughs> Except I don't know if I would call it health gorilla. I feel like Reaper is the trap here. It's, it's, it just seems like it's, it's too weird. Okay. How much do funeral homes need analytics? I'm saying Reaper is made up. Okay, David says Reaper is made answer. up. Final answer. Jay? I'm going to go with Takey. I think I'm likely to be alone in that one, and I feel like there was a honeypot trying to pull me into the other two. All right. I guess I'll take health gorilla since that's... Wait, wait. That's not how it works. You don't have to choose different. No. We don't know. No, we can all choose, choose the same answers. one. Yeah, we you're competing choose... against each other. But Takey, that's a meetup nearest company, I think, unless I'm completely confused. Reaper.io. <sighs> yeah, I'm going to go with health gorilla. The correct answer is... Correct answer is Reaper.io. Oh! <laughs> ah, sometimes it okay. is the most obvious one. One point <sighs> to David. I think I'm done. Can we just end the game now? I feel good about this. Okay. <laughs> I also think we should end the game because it is stupid and unfair, and I'd like to point out that it is most likely rigged. Okay, round two. All right, two. ready. Round two. Alien Labs. 
Building bots that automate routine or repetitive work, allowing teams to spend more time on work that requires creativity and emotional intelligence. Okay, bots. Okay. Yep. Pigeonly. Photo pigeon. <laughs> Pigeonly's first product allows users to send printed photos to their incarcerated loved one directly from their cell phone, tablet, or computer. Aww. Wait, is it L-Y pigeon like Lee? Libya or Pigeon Lee like the Chinese last name? L-Y. <laughs> dot L-Y? Pigeon yeah. dot L? Okay. Okay. It's very pigeon important. Lee. For printing photos which are sent to your friends in prison. Okay. Yeah. These all sound real. Room roulette. Chat roulette, <laughs> but for recent college graduates who recently moved to a new city for an internship and need a reliable short-term roommate. Ah, well, that's a terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> but so, that makes so it more likely to be real. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, these are tough. Uh, can, can I hear Pigeon Lee's tagline one more time? Photo Pigeon. Pigeon Lee's first product allows users to send printed photos to their incarcerated loved one directly from their cell phone, tablet, or computer. Okay. No, I believe it. Okay. What are you going with? I don't know about the bots. The bots sounded a little bit random. I'm going with uh, Alien Labs as the fake. I'm going with Room Roulette. I'm also going to pick Alien Labs because it sounded like they were trying to sell this to people who want to focus on some sort of like emotional hugging thing. And I just didn't, I didn't buy the pitch. Yeah. Okay. Drumroll. Room Roulette is the fake one. Oh! Oh. <laughs> David. Ah, David's so uh, batting a thousand here. Oh, oh, it is technically How many questions are there? Over. Is it even, it's not, it's not even possible for me to lose now. This is like my worst nightmare. I'm losing at something and someone's using sports metaphors to point that out to me. <laughs> this is like a junior high school nightmare. Okay. We have to gang up on David so he doesn't clobber us completely. We don't want it to be a shutout. All right. You guys ready for round three? Round so three. in this okay. last round, if we do, there's nothing the we, can we can do. do. There's just nothing. The best we can do is die. Yeah. If we add we your scores die. together, you could tie me. Okay. We're joining a team. All right. <laughs> Changing the rules. Neighborhoodies. We will make hoodies with colors based on your neighborhoods. Show your pride with neighborhoodies. Okay. Okay. Neighborhoodies. That's a good name. Ninja Metrics. Ninja's Katana Analytics engine lets companies track the social influence of their users, customers, or potential customers. And also their death count. Is Katana the game at the beach that you play with the paddles? What? That's Matkot. Oh, no. There's <laughs> another name for that. You know, you got two paddles and a ball at the beach and you just bang oh, the ball and back you, and Oh, and everyone's uh, betting. No, no, it's that's... High lie. You're thinking of High lie. Tennis. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's... David's being ridiculous. That's Kadima. It's you Kadima. Mean oh, Kadima. Oh, that's the Kadima. brand name of Matkot. Of Matkot, yes. right. Thank you. Okay, not Katana. Ninja uh, Metrics. Go, go, grandparent. The Uber, <laughs> the Uber for senior citizens, which lets them call for a ride versus using a mobile device. Oh, that is so oh, insulting no. to grandparents. I happen to love this. <laughs> <laughs> I know okay. I'm not a grandparent. There are, I mean, but what if you, there's all kinds of, oh, so politically incorrect. Okay, what country is this even in? I am voting on neighborhoodies being ridiculous. It's a great name. So the only thing I want to point out, the only thing I'm 100% sure of is that it's Joel was wrong. good names. I'm going to go with go, go, go grandparents. It's so <laughs> unfair go, go, go. that these terrible startups all have better names than we do. <laughs> <laughs> go, go, so overflow. Some of them are even made Listen. up and some of them are just bad startups. <laughs> But they all have great names. I don't know about Ninja Metrics. Ninja that's, Metrics, yeah. that's just lame. Come on. All okay. right. Well, all right. So here's the thing. The, real one. the analytic insights you never saw coming. I'm going with neighborhoodies. But here's the thing. I feel like if Ninja Metrics isn't actually a real one, that's just because there's another startup that does the exact same thing called something else. But this idea of like tracking the social influence of your customers has to exist. Yeah. And then the go-go grandparents Uber, but for your grandparents, that also has to exist. It may not be this go-go grandparents, but somewhere that exists. The only one yeah. I can't believe is real is Neighborhoodies. So the reason you are wrong yeah. is Neighborhoodies is definitely a real company. I am a customer of that company. I have purchased <laughs> items, and I have talked. Wait, I have wait. actually, I've corresponded. I have corresponded with the founder of Neighborhoodies <laughs> in the past. <laughs> They make sweatshirts that say like Upper West Side, or you can get whatever you want on them. And they'll do they like, have hand signals too? They anything? are. Oh yeah, yeah. You got like <laughs> the LED like gang sign for Upper West Side. Yeah. Absolutely. So wait, now we're just trying to decide. But both of those have to be all right. Then it's Go Go Grandparents. Yeah, it's got to go. All right. Well, guess what? Neighborhoodies is fake. Wait. Uh, what? <laughs> wait. What? Did you look it up after you made it up? Uh, oh I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I got a point. Jay, which Hang one did you land on? on. 
I don't even know, Jay, you didn't say which one you landed on. Neighbor Hoodies, Crunchbase, Brooklyn-based independent clothing manufacturer, offers custom hoodies, tees, and accessories for men, women, and kids. Yeah, so Neighbor Hoodies, which apparently does not exist, is highly disturbed <laughs> by the fact that they appear to have a brick-and-mortar location now at wait, 26 wait, wait. J Street in Brooklyn. Can we, get this, can we get this straight? You tried to make up a fake startup and accidentally made up a real one? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and they seem to have expanded their product line no. as it now includes children's clothing lingerie and hosiery menswear and women's wear hosiery huh hosiery who made these up Was hosiery this, did they you make, make a nice up? product I, I had bought one many yes, years ago wow so jess you, so you they just got a free plug you're wasting your time you should be disrupting the industry when you try to make up a ridiculous startup it's actually one that exists and has been they've been around for like 10 years now i cannot believe that exists it redirects to <laughs> So we've got a new part of the process, which is when we make up a ridiculous sounding startup, we will check to make sure that said made up startup doesn't happen to exist. So this is like URLs. Like they're just all taken now. Like Could your you, bad idea exists. Give the mic to Jess. Jess, can you tell us the final scores? Are we counting neighborhoodies or not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't get points for that one. Don't just not get points for that one. It turned out to be real. The final score then is David has two, Joel has one, and poor Jay has zero. What? You can't give Joel a point. You know what? Okay. I want to allow the point for Joel just to, so Jay has third place by himself. <laughs> this is the moves. This, this is terrible. We're just, okay. I'm going to count it because I did kind of come up with neighborhoodies as neighborhood <laughs> colored clothing, but... They just do regular clothing. They don't do colors for your neighborhood. Ah, you see? You see? So, okay. So that wasn't gonna, their actual tagline. This was neighborhood bespoke the clothing. They literally make clothing that is about you your have, specific neighborhood. Right. This is an outrage. That was this startup is or shut up. Outrage. I can't believe I came up with something. That was startup or shut up. Ah. <laughs> uh. And tune in again in about four weeks for another episode of Startup or Shut Up, unless you kill me first. It is time now. As you know, we're preparing Constitution for Stack Overflow each week. We bring you a proposal, and you, our listeners, will decide on whether that proposal becomes a part of our new constitution. This week, constitution question, pro or con, should you hold the door for a colleague if you know it's going to make them run? All right, so you've just gone through a door. This is a tricky Does everybody question. get this one? How I mean, how long? Is there a window of... This is, listen, if they're right behind you, sure. then they don't have to run. Okay. No, but if they're like all the way down the street... Then you just pretend you didn't see them. But you know they're there. They came out maybe the other elevator. They're about 20 yes. feet behind you. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're a little bit sick today. What? Or what? They, Why? Or they have, <laughs> Why? Just because they're running is not going to be as pleasant for them. Someone who would not choose to run. Yeah, maybe they're on crutches. It's true. There are crazy people who run for fun. Yeah. The, not one of those people is what we're saying. Right. And it's polite to hold the door, but then there's a social obligation on them. No, but I'm not going to challenge the premise. Obviously, we have to go to a straight up or down vote. Yeah. But my take here would be... <laughs> Thank you for recognizing yes, that. Yes, no, I understand. I'm glad to I'm see not... our conversation. You've really taken yes, it to heart I am, and you're I working I'm no on longer it. challenging the basic procedural order of our system. But I think the problem here is if you hold a door open for someone, the assumption is you are trying to help them. And what the implication is, is actually they are not actually supposed to run. That sense of obligation is misplaced on their part. You could say, no, wait, wait, don't run. <laughs> well, the real question is like should you hold the door for someone who is far away no need what to if run. i hold open a door yeah. that the person did not intend to walk into are they now obligated to go in that door <laughs> are you threatening them sorry in some that's way a different that's a different question we'll save that for door. another week okay so the question is essentially if someone is far away enough that they would be likely to feel that they need to run should you hold the door open or not yeah, it's a no-win situation no you obviously should you obviously you are, should you are obligated to otherwise you look like the jerk yeah but now you've made them run, so you actually are the jerk. And in fact, the alternative, because you know this yeah. now, so what you've actually done at this moment is you've kind of gone through a door, and you've done the glance, right? You glanced over your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, now you're stuck. And now your alternative to holding it is, in fact, to be like, Just I deem slamming. you too far away, too slow, not worth helping. And yeah. then to, after having glanced at this person, release the door, which is completely socially yeah. acceptable. If you've made eye contact, it's all over. You're stuck now. Okay. This is like when you see a coworker on the subway platform and you know oh do you have to talk to them yeah mm. so that's always awkward too. yes you do until you both get off the subway post your answer to twitter using the hashtag pound stack overflow podcast with either pro or con and your explanation short but convincing you got to fit it in 140 characters including links and the pound stack overflow podcast and all that well, that's really twitter's role the best explanation whether on the winning <laughs> side or the losing side will be read on next week's podcast and win a fabulous Stack Overflow sticker courtesy of the Stack Overflow podcast. Also, submit your ideas for future constitutional amendments, and one of them might be named after you. We're going to start naming Ooh. these things. So it's going to be like... The McCain 
Feingold Skeet Amendment. Exactly. Kind of Post yeah. your proposed constitutional amendment to Twitter, again, using the hashtag TechOverload Podcast. And if it's not terrible, we may feature it in a future poll. This is how democracy gets stronger, people. All right. So we do some news? Let's... Can you teach an old IT system new tricks? A recent essay by tech journalist Sharon Fisher warns companies to modernize their legacy IT systems before it's too late. As developers retire, taking institutional memory with them, and as fewer people know skills such as COBOL, Fisher says companies today are risking their business on software on hardware that their employees don't know how to support. The problem of modernizing IT is just as big in the public sector. 75% of the federal government's $89 IT budget is dedicated to keeping old systems running, and agencies have reported using several systems with components that are in some cases 50 years old or older. Well, first of all, this is ageism. (laughs) (laughs) Probably true. Probably true. The COBOL standard, I believe, was defined in 1959. What is the oldest piece of software you think that's in like regular use by just regular people? I know that- It says 50 years. That's a long time. Oh, the oldest one in current use? It's left pad, probably. Definitely left pad. Left pad. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff at like at your dry cleaner that's still running on DOS. Do y'all remember then DOS in text mode could oh, draw yeah, yeah. lines? Oh, totally. They could draw basic lines yeah, yeah, yeah. and forms. And... They'd scroll up generally. Like yeah. they'd rise up onto the page when it printed something. Oh, you made a mistake. Or if you yeah, forgot yeah. to put in the floppy disk, it would say abort, retry, ignore. And it would mess up the whole screen. Yeah. Yeah. What is the oldest piece of software you use? <whistles> Nothing really that old because now it's all on the uh, internet, yeah, you know? We, we just not... get It just gets updated continuously. I know what the older piece of software you use, Joel. Yeah. City Desk. Yes. <laughs> That's correct. Oh, God. That's right. QuickBooks is pretty bad, but they update it every year at least. It's got all the same. Uh, yeah. Yeah. City Desk has not been updated. Your blog runs on weeks. a piece of software. That... <laughs> to be fair, there's some engineers working right now and converting it to WordPress. My wife uses a piece of software. I don't know what it's called, but she's a doctor. And her office has this scheduling like booking software they bought. That is, I'm sure, HIPAA compliant, meets all these things, or it did in 1974. Do you think of hippos when you think about HIPAA? <laughs> yeah, hippo compliance is hippos are nasty. You don't want to mess with them. Yeah. When a hippo tells you to do something, yeah. you comply, yeah. my man. <laughs> you know what I've also learned? Doctors don't appreciate jokes like that. It's weird. It's, they just, there must be a sense of humor. They thing have no doctors. sense of humor. It's taken out of them in second year medical um, school. If you want a good lecture on how patient privacy is not a joking matter, I suggest you bring oh. up hippos. But the oldest piece of software I see in regular use, at least in my household, so to speak, is this booking software they use. Get like a cyan blue background with like red you know, a Commodore 64 era text on it. But the best way to frame sort of how old it is, is the whole interface is based on lists of numbers. So like, if you look at the front of the software, there's like six items on the left and then six more on the right. And they are numbered one through 12. (laughs) And the way you select an item is you type six. And that means like book appointment. Right, and then when right. you get to the oh, next yeah, yeah, page, yeah. there's like nine more choices. And this it's like was the menu system before menus were invented. Right. And everything is like yeah. this. Here is a list of things. Enter your number. Yeah. And then like the most advanced thing you know is you get to like from? a form, a plain text form at some point. Do you know where that comes from? There's a statement. This is an artifact of the programming language basic. Sure. Because in the programming language basic. That's and one of the few programming languages I have a decent working recollection of. Yes. I think, let me see if I get this right, David, maybe you remember. If you have a variable, let's say it's X and it has a value, which is like one through 12. You can say on X, go to, and then list the line numbers Absolutely. that you want to jump to for one, two, three, four, et cetera. And so it made it a very easy way. You just print the menu and then you would say input X and then you'd say on X, go to. Yep. So that is the reason that that is the user interface. <laughs> and in fact, I think DOS has a feature so that you can even do that from DOS script. That's how Bloomberg terminals worked for a very long time. <sighs> Bloomberg terminals had the function keys. Crazy they also keys. had all kinds of special keys that were like mapped. You had to get a special Bloomberg keyboard or stickers to put on your keyboard. Yeah. But the primary navigation interface, even like well into way, way, way into the Windows era, because it's like a power user, was still like, I want equities. And then you'd be, you have to keep going. Numbers, I don't know if we're numbers. really addressing this news item. Probably the news not. item is why does the government <laughs> modernize your damn systems? And this systems? is had the new yeah. CTO of the White House, right? Is, is pushing for this, if I'm not mistaken? Could be. Talked about this. Why do we he have a new is. CTO? What's his name? You know what we could do, actually? It's just tell people, if you're going to build a computer system, just literally plan that it has to be thrown away after 10 years, no matter how good it is. Even if it still works in 10 years, oh, just gosh. budget it so that like this has got to last for 10 years. At the end of 10 years, we're going to have to get another budget and build another one that will be modern and amazing. I have no doubt that what they're doing is we're 20 too even. old and terrible, and it's probably 20 years old, and yeah. they should be updating it. Although it's easy to say, like, well, you know what? They should just always be updating to the latest things. It's more efficient, and that'll yeah. be worthwhile. And like the reality is, like even at giant companies... 
they skip Windows releases, right? They will only roll yeah, out every skip every other Windows every release. few. Well, yeah. more than that, and part of it is because all of their weird little proprietary things that plug into that have to get rewritten and rebuilt. Yeah. And there's yeah. often there's a balance. It says here the Department of Defense uses eight inch floppy disks in a legacy system that coordinates the operational functions Wait. of the nation's nuclear forces. Eight inch floppy disks? <laughs> yeah. There before That's they were five and a half years. inches. They were eight <laughs> inches. Stop it! Oh, the big ones. Yeah. Stop it! Yeah, they flopped like when they were actually the five and a half inch too. flopped. Wait, how big is an eight inch floppy disk? Roughly the size of a forty five record? No, that's seven inches. <laughs> That's bigger. It's bigger. It's as big I as never even saw an eight inch. Right? I was no, thinking yeah, yeah. of the, the floppy oh, the one you were thinking of. The only floppy one we remember that was five yeah. and a half or five and a quarter. Yeah. Five and, and a quarter. Five and a quarter. And then it went down to three yeah, and a half. Yeah, and they were yeah. kind of yeah. hard. Yeah. yeah. The like eight inch did not last for a while. And it did not, since the IBM PC came out already using five and a half, and so did the Apple too. The eight inch, the only consumer applications of that, well, obviously like the PDPs had them. And the like the DAC mini computers. And then the consumer ones that had that were the word processors. There was a generation before anybody could afford a PC for their office oh, where they yeah. would buy a dedicated word processor. It came with a Daisy, Daisy, Daisy wheel. wheel printer Daisy wheel. Yep. that made an enormous amount of noise, indistinguishable the, from a machine gun. I forgot about that. That was a tiny moment in time, like between like electronic yeah. typewriters yeah. and the PC era. Where there was a dedicated, like, it was like an appliance called the word processor. I would be out guarding some outpost in Lebanon with the Israeli army and woken up by machine gun fire. And then I would go home for the weekend and my dad would come into my room (laughs) where the daisy wheel printer was and wake me up. I'd printing one of his papers on a daisy wheel printer. And I'm telling you, when I say they're indistinguishable. They're indistinguishable. Oh, it's funny because your dad's typing and you think you're going to die. Elon, let's do one more. Yeah, sure. Item. Here we go. The number of software developers actively developing in the cloud has reached more than 5.4 million as of this year, according to a recent study by Evans Data. The number of cloud-based developers has grown by 375% since the company began tracking <laughs> data mean? in 2009. Back then, only about 1.2 million developers were using the cloud as their primary development platform. Okay, that's what it actually means. That last sentence, it means oh, these what aren't platform like you're developers. targeting. And the, apparently the cloud, one of the choices is The way they the describe cloud, it, it sounds right? like one of those it's... old Oh God movies. And they're up in the cloud. So, and, they have, yeah. and they have angel wings. The and they're writing a beautiful there. heavenly code. <laughs> <laughs> George Burns makes witty observations about... Cloud-based know, developers. It's like, where are you based? I'm based in New York. Oh, I'm based in the This is actually offensive to older people. The cloud is offensive? Yeah, because we used to draw network diagrams. And the internet was represented by a cloud because instead of actually drawing the diagram, you just drew a cloud and everybody connects to the cloud and then they're all magically connected because that's the way the internet worked. Before that, we had networking systems where we had to individually point to point connect individual machines. But the internet was just, hey, get connected to the internet. The cloud was like the network. It was the wires between the computers. You have actually done nothing whatsoever to help us understand. Like, you could tell that same story, except you're like, oh, do you know why they drew, like, Mr. Zip, the stamp guy? Well, everyone wanted to represent the internet, so they put Mr. (laughs) Zip, the stamp guy there, and they all drew lines. Why is it a cloud? I thought you were going to tell us why it's a cloud. And why is it offensive to old people? Uh, yeah. I'll get there. It does sound like Joel's planning to offend old people, but it's unrelated to the specific to story. Okay. Just warning you. Back just in the old days, you. we used to draw network diagrams, and you draw a bunch of little pictures of computers, and then you connect them with lines. So far, so describing good. Describing the network topology. Yep. So, yep. for example, a common network topology was the bus. And a bus was like you draw one big, long line, and a bunch of the computers would connect to that line. Mm-hmm. And that would mean any computer can talk to any other computer that's on the same bus. Sure. Or you could have a star topology where there's some computer in the middle. And it talks to different computers that are arranged as if in a star. Oh, and the overall picture looks like a star when all put That's together. A star. You can have a star, or a bus, etc. A bus right. is kind of yeah. like a line yeah. with stuff on it. So it's <laughs> and bus when the line. internet okay. got invented, the whole idea about the internet is that you don't connect to another computer. You connect to the internet, and they connect to the internet. And now you can talk to any computer on the internet automatically. That was the innovation. That's why it's called an internet. It's internetworking. Like that's the whole innovation of the internet is that instead of connecting to computers. You connect to this thing called the internet, and everybody connects to this uh, thing called the internet that is magically allowing any computer okay. to connect to any computer over the internet, right? Okay, that's the... And so the way you would draw that on a diagram, on a network diagram, is you'd make a cloud. Like, you would make a little poofy thing that looks like a thought bubble or the way that Snoopy talks. But so I see what I was envisioning was they're all connecting. It's not that a bunch of computer images are connecting to a cloud image. It's that if you put a whole bunch of computers kind of randomly because there is no fixed relationship and they can all yeah. connect to each other, you get a big amorphous thing floating around that looks like a cloud. No, the computer's not the cloud. No, 
You're literally draw your network diagram, and it's like your starting point and your endpoint. It's just like a terminal yeah. node that indicates yep. yeah. like all these things are connected. You draw to a little here. puffy cloud, that's, and that's then everybody you, connects you, that. you just why use the cloud, cloud to represent. That. It looks like a cloud. It's, no, my it's question puffy. is, why did they make it look like a cloud? Because they're having a big fight. They're stirring up all kinds of dust and stuff like that, and <laughs> <sighs> I give up. Got it. To the cloud. That, what were we supposed to be talking about? I think that's Developers working in the cloud. That number is <laughs> growing. That just means that they're working on like AWS or something that sounds like a press release. Let's move on. Follow us on Twitter at Stack Podcast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Stack Overflow Podcast. You can subscribe to Stack Overflow Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Actually, if you like to listen to podcasts on your iPhone, I want to recommend. It's not a paid sponsorship. I want to recommend Overcast. Or go to our website at stackoverflow.com slash podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag Stack Overflow Podcast. Well, you've gone and wasted another hour of your life listening to Stack Overflow Podcast number 92, recorded Monday, October 17, 2016 at Stack Overflow Headquarters. <gasps> this podcast has been brought to you by the Facsimile Association of America. <laughs> A fax is the only way to really be sure your time-sensitive documents are delivered and printed. Nothing beats having a hard copy of your important files. Audio engineer Carlos Hernandez, ex-audio engineer Alex Miller, audio editor is David Greenlee, producer is Jess Perdue, executive producer is Caitlin Pike. For Dan Hanlon, David Fulton, Elon Yitzchaki, I'm Joel Spolsky. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. you have a fax machine not now but used to but not have a separate line for it so you pick up the phone and it would be making the fax noise you have to run over and hit the fax machine before yeah. it was too late and yeah. miss the start when somebody sends you email saying could you please fax me a document you know that something is broken here yeah <laughs> yeah my doctor's office and my local school district both communicate to me via email to tell me i must send them a fax and i'm like i want to cut you you know like, you should do so this is what i told you I'd just call them back and say you know i work in tech and the faxes are going to stop working at the end of this year. So <laughs> you can't tell anybody. Completely... But I wanted you no, to no, know. No, 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 no. It's everybody in the tech industry knows it. It's just they were only supposed to work until 2016, and this year they're just going to be replaced by the internet with the email attachments. Do you That's have right. the email attachments? It has to do with the Unix epoch date and date offsets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, nobody's using them anymore, so they're just going to turn it off because you, you seem to be the last. Turning off the fax machine network. That's right. Faxes are no longer considered hippo compliant. I'm going to tell them. Post your answer to Twitter using the hashtag Stack Overflow Podcast. Pro or con, should you hold the door for a colleague if you know it's going to make them run?